<clears throat> All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started. Now, last week uh, we wrapped up the Noahic Covenant, and this morning we're going to start the Abrahamic Covenant. It's going to take us probably at least two weeks to get through this, um, but it'll be a good two weeks, I assure you. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and open with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your Lord's Day. Uh, how refreshing it was to have a cool breeze this morning. We look forward uh, to that. I hope it continues throughout the day. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your word. We pray that as we um, examine and study the Noah Covenant, we would learn more about you, more about your grace. Um, and we thank you for your confession that speaks so clearly of it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> all right, now, I think sometimes... It can seem a little overwhelming when you get into these bigger covenants. I mean, you got people changing their names, you got circumcisions, promises of God, curses, blessings, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? But don't worry, uh, when it comes to the Abrahamic covenant, your big chapters are going to be 12, 15, and 17. And within the Abrahamic covenant, the first topic we need to address is the call of Abram, and as he's known at this point. And I'm going to try very hard to use that name. I'm probably going to slip a couple times and say Abraham, but um, at this point he's known as Abram. It's here the covenant begins and uh, the promises of God uh, are laid forth. So let's begin at the beginning, shall we? Uh, in, we're in Genesis 12. In his calling of Abram, God reveals he has a plan, uh, a plan for the universe and reveals the direction of history as we know it. At this point, okay, these verses that we're about to read are pivotal, not just in redemptive history, but really for the world over. Okay, God is shaping history at this point. If you have your Bibles, flip over to uh, Genesis 12. I'll read the first three verses here. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Late uh, OPC minister Robert Raymond he said this regarding Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It is the center point of the biblical story of redemption. Everything that comes before it leads up to it, and everything that comes after it fulfills it. I really like that. Um, Raymond, he was also a professor at uh, Covenant and Knox Theological Seminary. But let's see if Professor Raymond uh, was correct in such a profound statement. I'm going to say that he is. Remember, our catechism answer right, is all about understanding how the covenant of grace was administered in the Old Testament, right? how God administers his grace throughout redemptive history. And one of the ways he does that is through promises. Right? In our text this morning, we're going to see six covenant promises that God makes to Abraham. And to further reiterate that point, right, that Hebrew word barak for bless, okay, it's used five times in these three verses. Okay? The thesis here is how divine blessing is going to be uh, mediated through Abraham to all the families of the earth. The repetition of this word barak, or bless, is meant to provide hope that through Abram, people all over the world are going to experience God's favor. Okay? And yes, this is for Jews and Gentiles. Okay? Even at this point, for through Abram, God says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a, there's a national and an international dimension here. Okay? Again, this is a major historical turning point, especially for God's people. Because let's, let's face it, up to this point, right, chapters 3 through 11, they've been pretty rough. So to hear this is wonderful news, right? Now, before we dive into our blessings, I want us to remember two things. Okay, the Abrahamic covenant begins here. Okay, that's number one. The Abrahamic covenant begins here. When most people think of the Abrahamic covenant, right, they, they usually go to Genesis 15. 
Number the stars if you're able to number them, right? So shall your offspring be. Or they go to Genesis 17, right? They think of circumcision. And, and all of that's fine. We'll get to those in due course. But within these three verses, we have the promises and the covenant of God to and with Abram, okay? The commands, the conditions, the blessings, they're all here, okay? Just because we don't see that word covenant, okay, doesn't mean that this isn't covenant language being used here, okay? And think about this too. When God enacts the covenant ritual with Abram in Genesis 15, was it to create a covenant that didn't exist before? No, okay? It was to confirm a relationship that already existed, okay? The relationship began with God electing, calling, speaking to, and promising Abram, okay? Derek Kidner says this, the history of redemption, like that of creation, begins with God speaking, okay? In these three verses, we see the direct connection with Genesis 1, Genesis 3, and to some extent, Genesis 6 and 9, okay? You see, up until now, is Abram is just your average 75-year-old man, okay? I mean, really, he's a spring chicken compared to his dad, right? Terah was 205 years old when he died, okay? But like his father, he lives in idolatry, okay? How do I know that? Well, because in Genesis 11, we learn that he and his family come from the era of the Chaldeans, okay? This later becomes the pagan land Babylon, and it's, it's almost 200 miles south, southeast, of uh, what we know today as Baghdad. And for you geologically challenged people, that's a major city in Iraq. Okay? The point is, what brings Abram out of idolatry is God. Okay? It's not his father. God speaks to Abraham. God calls him. He elected him. He made promises to him. Okay? What called Abraham out of idolatry is the same thing that calls any one of us out of idolatry. God speaks, okay? If it were not for God calling Abram and making promises to him, he would have carried on in his idolatry, as would any one of us. Okay, very good. Now, let's look at these six covenantal promises that God makes. We actually get three of them right in verse two, right out of the gate, one right after another. Uh, Number one, I will make you a great nation. Two, I will bless you. And three, uh, I will make your name great. So although Abram is called to leave his country behind, right, God gives him these promises as a form of comfort and surety. Okay? Now, <clears throat> number one, when God promises to make him a great nation, I want to I reserve that for Genesis 15. Okay? For now, we should just know that Abram travels with his family to Canaan, the promised land right? It is the very land that God will deliver his people to when they come out of Egypt, right? But number two, when God says, I will bless you, okay? That's not like when we say at the end of our service, right? Lord bless you. God bless you. Have a good week, right? That's not what's going on here. When we say that, it's kind of indefinite, right? It's just kind of hanging out there. When God says this, it's definitive. It's declarative, okay? He, he, he states definitively that he will give you total well-being, okay? And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about wealth and prosperity type of well-being, okay? <clears throat> Ligon Duncan says this, just like the Old Testament word shalom speaks to peace or total well-being, blessing is the provision that brings about that total well-being, Okay? Remember that from the beginning, God has been in the business of calling people to himself, saving a people for himself, right? We see this language of blessing from Genesis 1 all the way to here. This this is the great discussion of of biblical and covenantal continuity going on here, okay? And now, through Abram, God has called him, he's promised him, And he says, don't worry about your old country, right? Because I'm going to bless you in in such a way that the kingdom of God is going to come through you. And it will be the greatest nation of all. 
That third promise, again, Abram is called to leave his father, his kin, behind. His name, his reputation. God says, you don't need it because I will bless you and make your name great. It's not about your name or your father's name. It's about my name. It's about glorifying my name and my kingdom. But here's the thing. Because my name is great, your name will be great. Remember what happened just a chapter before, right? The people are are building a tower, right? They want to build a tower to the tops of the heavens. Why? Their answer is, let us make a name for ourselves. God says, yeah, no, that's not going to happen, right? In fact, your name will forever be remembered as Babel. The people who confuse the languages because of their sin. But to Abram, he says, your name will be great. Now, very good. The blessings four and five, they come from verse three. God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who dishonor you. That's number four. Number five is, uh, and I will bless all the families of the earth through you. So, uh, number four, Abram is an instrument of God's blessing, okay, and a curse in the process of redemption. It's interesting to note that although Abram is called to be a blessing to others, a lot of it rests on how people treat him. Hmm. Those who are kind toward Abram will experience God's favor, but on the other hand, those who despise Abram will experience God's displeasure. Another interesting point regarding this, too, is that those, th- those who bless Abram, it's in the plural, while those who dishonor him, it's in the singular, okay? So the idea here is that many more will be blessed than cursed, okay? That fifth promise, look back at the end of verse 3, when God says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, we're to understand that through the influence of Abram, okay, through this one man, God will make a great nation and bless many people. The kingdom of God is, is like a mustard seed, is it not? Right? Though it has small beginnings, it grows in exponential proportions. But there's more we need to notice here. This is, this is one of those times where obligation and blessing come together. Okay? Abram is blessed in order to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. This is the beginning of missions. Not Matthew 28. This is now Abram's new job. <laughs> okay? Many of you know I, I work in HR, right? And, and I've, seen, I've seen a ton of jobs. <clears throat> I like to joke that you could put the word specialist at the end of any job and, and make it a job. Okay? Um, well, that's, that's what Abram now is, right? He's a blessing specialist. Okay? <clears throat> his job is to bless the nations. And that's not just his job, by the way. That is yours as well. If you're a Christian, then you are a son of Abraham, and you have the same obligation. You, too, are a blessing specialist, if you will, okay, to be a blessing to all people. Now, this last blessing, number six, it actually comes in verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, I realize That promise is more extended to his descendants, but the promise is still made to Abraham. Additionally, it's it's kind of tangential to that first promise of making him a great nation. There's debate among theologians about how to number these promises, but I, I think this is a pretty good understanding, right? These are our six promises. Okay, very good. Now, let's look at the commands or the obligations in this covenant, okay? Now, there's only really two commands, but embedded within them, There's a lot to unpack. In verse 1, God says, go. And in verse 2, we have, be a blessing. Okay, seems pretty straightforward. But let's take a look. That first one, go. God says, leave your country, go, leave your country, your kin, and your father's house. I want us to appreciate the magnitude of Abraham's call here. Okay? He essentially commands Abram, to abandon his heritage, his source of identity, his security, his family, his home, his fellowship, right? God says, I want you to leave all that behind 
and go to this land over here that I'm going to show you. Okay, this place where they won't know your name or your father's legacy, where you have no home, no established source of food, clothing, shelter, none of that. Okay, where everything is strange and unknown. Wonder if that's hard? Go ask someone who's deployed. Go ask a foreign missionary. That's hard. To obey Abram, or I'm sorry, to obey, Abram must trust God implicitly. God says, leave it all behind and follow me. Okay? Does that sound familiar? It should. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's a tall order. And it's a tall order here in Genesis. And what is Abram's response? Look at verse 4. So Abram went. The brevity here should indicate his obedience to be immediate and unquestioning. Okay? Again, that response. Does it sound familiar? Matthew 4, verses 19 and 20. This is when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. He says to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They left their jobs and they followed Jesus, right? They don't, they, don't, they don't go home and talk it over with their wives, right? Their response was immediate. And by the way, only God has the right to speak this way, okay? Jesus is using this language for a reason, okay? He's saying, I'm calling you just like my father called Abram. All of this to say, this moment in Genesis marks how God calls his people and how they should respond to that call. Okay? God says, leave it all behind and follow me. And the response of the believer is to turn and go without hesitation. There's, there's no, yeah, but, but what about, no, 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 turn and go. It can be difficult at times, sure. But when God calls his people to himself, to saving faith, it is truly irresistible grace. Now, this is my favorite thing to note in verse 1, the connection to the garden. Okay? The last time God sent someone like this was when he drove Adam and Eve from the garden, away from his presence. Right? <clears throat> now the call is, Leave your country and come back to the country that I will give you. And here's the most wonderful thing, right? It hasn't stopped. We experience that every Lord's Day when the pastor gives the call to worship. God told Adam and Eve, go, leave my presence. But God, through his faithful minister, says, come. Come back and worship me. Come into my presence. There is a lot of grace in this first verse. And we experience it every Lord's Day in our call to worship. Now, the second obligation Abram has, much like we saw before, right, is to be a blessing. At the end of verse 2, God says there's a, there's a purpose behind these blessings, right? So that you will be a blessing. Now, I've, I've heard people quibble over how to translate this phrase. Uh, the, some will say that this is just a statement of fact. Okay? Um, in other words, and you shall be a blessing. Okay? It's, just a, it's just a fact. Or the other way is that it's a command. In other words, Abram, be a blessing. Okay? Now, first of all, if you know your Hebrew, then you will know the phrase, you will be, is in the imperative. Okay? This is a command. Okay. Nevertheless, that doesn't make this any less a statement of fact because it's God who's saying it. Okay. The main takeaway here is that God blesses Abram not so that he can remain passive, okay, but so that he can actively bless the world. And <laughs> don't we see him just fail miserably at that in the next few verses? Okay. In verse 10, he and his wife Sarai go into Egypt. And what does he tell her? He says, you're, you're so beautiful, 
please tell everyone that you're my sister. Otherwise, they're, they're going to kill me, right? Now, here's the biggest problem, okay? Abram didn't trust God. He didn't trust God to protect them. <clears throat> Furthermore, Abram didn't even try to protect his own wife. I mean, it was, it was cowardice, okay? In no way is this him being a blessing to the nations. Now, if you think Abram was exaggerating, he wasn't, okay? As soon as they get there, in verse 14, the people immediately notice her. Okay? In verse 15, the princes go tell Pharaoh, there's this beautiful woman that's coming to the city. You, you need to get her, okay? Sarai was a looker, okay? She was beautiful. So just like Abram thought, right, they took her. But even though Abram wouldn't protect his wife, God would, okay? Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So even if it meant sending plagues on Pharaoh's house again, God was going to do it. So Pharaoh figures out what's going right, uh, going on, right? And he tells Abram in verse 18, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Wait a minute. Isn't Pharaoh supposed to be the bad guy in this story? And he's the one rebuking the father of the faith? Can you imagine Moses telling this story to the Jews? And as they're going through the desert? How would it sound that a pagan king is rightly morally criticizing a follower of Yahweh? Abraham, no less. Now, to bring this full circle, Abram was just commanded by God to be a blessing, but he does the exact opposite. He is not a blessing, he's a curse. He's a curse on Pharaoh's house. Now, it's easy for us to look at this and say, shame on you, Abraham. Shame on you. How many of us have done the exact same thing? How many of us as Christians are supposed to be a blessing to others? The answer, by the way, is all of us. And we end up being a curse. I'd venture to say it happens more times than we care to admit. But here's the important thing. Do Abram's failures, or ours for that matter mean that we are out of the covenant? No. Okay? Abram's standing in the covenant is not conditioned upon his covenant keeping. Okay? And the same is true for us. Okay? It is no accident that the call of Abram and this passage are right next to each other. Okay? It's to make this exact point. Okay? Very good. This concludes the call of Abram. Let's move into some of the meteor passages of the covenant. Um, does anybody have, before we do that, does anybody have any questions on Abram's call? Okay. Yeah, we got some time. Uh, flip uh, over to Genesis 15. Now, I, think, I really do think it would be helpful to read this whole chapter so we get a good idea of what's going on here. Um, because really, this whole chapter is very important. Can I get a volunteer to read chapter 15 for me? Yeah, thanks. Go ahead. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? <clears throat> then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, 
how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and I will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also, the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as far as you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> now, and, and this is not a hard and fast rule, but it's helpful to understand this chapter is kind of divided into two primary sections. First, you have verses 1 through 6, which is uh, discussing Abram's concern for a child. And then you have that last portion, verses 7 through 21, that's focusing on Abram's desire for a uh, divine pledge that, that he's going to get the land of Canaan and that's gonna, it's going to belong to his descendants. Hey, remember the, the promise of blessing in chapter 12, right? God says, I will make of you a great nation. Well, what do you need to make a nation, right? You need people and you need land, okay? It's in this chapter, God promises that Abram's children will possess the land, okay? And, and it's not just any child, it's Abram's direct descendant. And it's not just any land, it's the land set apart for God's people, okay? So... There's, there's kind of your macro scale look, but, but let's examine some of the finer details. In verse 1, we read, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Okay? Now, just as a quick aside, please don't get all tripped up over this. Okay? The vision is simply the means by which the, Lord, uh, by, I'm sorry, by which the word of the Lord came to Abram. Okay? God uses many different means to deliver his word in Scripture. Right? You've got the burning bush in Exodus 3. You've got a thick cloud in Exodus 19. A gentle whisper in 1 Kings 19, dreams, prophets, I mean, I could go on, right? The point is, don't get hung up on the fact that this was a vision, okay? Can people have visions where God actually speaks to someone anymore? No, okay? Could they then? Yes. Why? What's the difference? Because the canon of Scripture is closed, okay? There's no more extra-biblical revelation, okay? The main takeaway here is not that this was a vision, but that a vision was used to convey God's word. Okay? And what is that word? God says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Okay? And upon hearing this, what does Abram do? He rejoices, right? No. <laughs> he complains. In fact, in verses 2 through 3, Abram lists four complaints. Okay? Number one, he has no child. That's verse 3. Behold, you have given me no offspring. Number 2, he is never likely to have children. He says, I continue childless in verse 3. The third one, his servant Eleazar of Damascus was his likely heir because of all this. Okay, that's verse 2. Whose name, by the way, Eleazar, means um, God is help. (laughs) Funny enough. But Eleazar was a Syrian slave. Okay, and... uh, as you're reading this, when you know that, as you're reading this, you should think, no, that can't possibly be true. God wouldn't give Abram's inheritance to a slave, a Syrian slave. Because Abram, by the way, was a very wealthy man in his time. Fourth complaint, his desire for a son was so great that it took away all his enjoyment. Okay, that's what he means in verse 2 when he says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? The, the idea here is that there's, there's nothing God could give him that would make him happier than being a father. I, I mean, you, you really kind of need to read that like a, a loud cry or a plea. 
Okay? You got to remember, Abraham, like I said, he was one of the wealthiest men of his time. Right? He had money, livestock, uh, servants. God has, has certainly provided him good things, but they all paled in comparison to having a son. That, that paternal zeal was powerful. Okay? And this is a poignant question that he, that he puts to God. There's a, there's a real spiritual struggle going on here. Abram's essentially saying, there's, there's nothing you could give me I want, because I have no one to leave it to. Now, it's important to understand that Abram's questioning here, okay, and his, his offering of complaints to God, it comes from a place of faith, not disbelief. Okay, that's important. He's coming from a place of faith, not disbelief. It's precisely because Abram believes God is good and sovereign that he's, he's struggling with what's going on here. Okay? God told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham's going, God, I'm an old man. I'm almost 100 years old. I've been following you for 25 years. And I don't even have one child. Where's this great nation coming from? You think being childless today is difficult? Being childless back then meant that was a curse from God. Now, how do I know Abram's question is from a heart of belief? Well, look at God's response in verse 5. And, and notice how this is a loving correction, okay, from a heavenly father, how gentle he deals with his son, Abram. Okay, in verse 5, God's not yelling. Okay, he's not screaming. He's not reprimanding him. He brings him outside and he says, number the stars if you're able. Which, by the way, with all our technology, the best astrophysicists in the world could not number all the stars in space. They couldn't even come close. And the Lord says, so shall your offspring be. He says, my son, if you tried, you'd lose count. Okay. God says, you want proof? Look up. There's your proof. The Lord hears Abram's questioning and he responds favorably. Anyone do a little stargazing? Anyone like to enjoy that? Even a little bit, right? I like to go deer hunting in West Texas. And when you're, when you're out there on a clear night without all the light pollution from the city, man, with the naked eye, you see thousands of stars. It is beautiful. Gorgeous. You've never seen so many. This, this is the kind of view that Abram had when he's talking with God. This is the kind of picture he had. And when you see that, man, it's overwhelming. But it's no accident that God uses yet another heavenly manifestation right, to emphatically reaffirm his commitments. Right? With Noah, he says, look up. I'm going to put my bow in the sky. With Abram, he says, look up. Number the stars. Both are things that you have to look up for. You're not looking inward. You're looking up. You're focusing on God. The point here is that it's a tangible, visible reminder of God's invisible promise. Okay? We see in the stars the word of promise and the magnitude of the covenant. It's, it's vast. Now, there's one other important point. I want to make here before we leave verse 5. Based on God's response, we can confidently say that Abram asked his question in faith. I want to come back to that real quick. Because there's examples in Scripture of those who question God with disbelieving hearts. And it does not go well. Okay? Think of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Right? The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, right? And because he's praying, right? And his prayers have been answered. Right? You'll have a son, and his name will be John. And he'll be filled with the Spirit. He's going to turn many in Israel toward God. And he's going to, he's going to pave the way. Right? Zechariah says, and this is Luke 1.18. Zechariah's response to all this is, how, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Hmm. Kind of sounds like what Abram said. Lord, I'm old. How am I going to have a son? And what is the angel's response? He says, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of the Lord. I'm bringing good news, and you don't even believe it. 
And Zechariah, he's, he's in the temple for a while, so the people start getting worried. <laughs> and he comes out mute. Because of his disbelief, God doesn't let him speak until John is born. <clears throat> so when we juxtapose Abram with Zechariah, we see the difference in a person asking of God with a heart of belief or faith versus a heart with disbelief. And I, I can't help but take a minute and reflect on the application of that for us. Okay? I think some of us, perhaps many of us, recall the promises of God. We know them. Okay? And sometimes we feel in some way like, like Abram, right? We're hurting. We're confused. You, you feel like you have a legitimate complaint. That you've been faithful. You've prayed. But things aren't going in accordance with God's promises. And as a result, the, the, the family's struggling. Finances, work, it's not going like it's supposed to. They're taking a hit. Relationships aren't what they used to be. Health is getting better. It's not getting, or it's getting worse. It's not getting better. <clears throat> Remember, you always have a cause to complain to God. Never of him. Say that again. You always have reason to complain to God, to offer your complaints to him. Never may you complain of him. The Psalms and laments, they're full of this language to help you. Right? Be specific in your grievances. Okay? Matthew Henry says this. I love this. <clears throat> it is some ease to a burdened spirit to open its case to a faithful and compassionate friend. Such a friend is God, whose ear is always open. And I think it's, it's always helpful to remember this as well. Because this is going to be true of Abram, right? God answers his prayers and fulfills his promise in accordance with his goodwill and his good timing, not ours. Right? The answer to prayers is not necessarily no. It's just not yet. Right? Being worried and scared, that's normal. Okay? But lay your burdens at the cross. Be patient and wait upon the Lord. Okay? Like Abram, go to him with a heart of faith. And he will deal with you as a gentle heavenly father. Just like he did with our father Abram. Okay? Now, I think that's going to be a good place to stop. We're going to go back uh, and revisit verse 6 when uh, we come back next week. Where the, uh, Abram believes the Lord and he counts it to him as righteous. That is a crucial piece of text. And we'll dive into that next week. Does anybody have any questions up to this point? Sir, another lovely. Yes, Elder Terpstra, what do you. Uh... <laughs> oh. Say that last part again, I'm sorry. They uh, regulate the Abrahamic covenant to the Old Testament people of God and not to Christians. That they are sent those blessings are specifically for Jews alone and not for Christians. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that, that goes back to the idea that um, Abraham is our father. And we're going to actually get to this when we look at Romans chapter 4, um, how Abraham is connected to be our father. He's our father in the faith. Um, but those blessings are for, it's, it's familial, it's generational. And so those blessings that God gives to Abram are for him and his generations. And that goes, we are in one faith with Abram to our father. And so it can't be just to Abram or to those Jews, but it's, when, when we, we'll look at it in, in later classes, but um, when we look at circumcision, it's, it's circumcision of the heart 
and it's to his people and everyone in his house, which would have been people that he bought with money, so slaves, so it's Jews and Gentiles, right? So it's all people that worship the Father, or I'm sorry, that worship the God of Abraham. To all nations. Mm-hmm. So, tell them right off of that, what would you say to the modern evangelists that delude and sometimes outright say that Hebrews of the Old Testament were saved by the law of God, but we are saved by grace, or that the Old Testament people of God were saved differently than how we are saved today? And these are, you've got Stanley in Atlanta, they, they go to church. Mm-hmm. You've got Force Hagee in San Antonio. What do you say to those? I would say Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. <laughs> um, that, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and we're absolutely going to get to this next week, but that, yeah, that, sure, yeah. Um, Abraham, and this, this is verse 6, which is we're going to start with next week. Abraham believes the Lord, and he counts it to him as righteousness. So he is saved by grace through faith. Works come later, right? Circumcision comes in 17. He sac- he, the sacrifice of Isaac comes in chapter 22. All the works come later. We're going to talk about in James 2, right, the idea of justification and, and what, how James looks at that. Um, the big scary chapter where he says that it's, it's by, uh, you're justified by works and not by faith alone. And what does that mean? So, um, yeah, Abraham is not justified by his works. He's justified by faith. God elects him, calls him, and Abraham believes. At that moment, he's justified, and he's declared righteous. Yes, ma'am. Well, so he does, he does kind of try, right? He gets, he, uh, Sarai tells him to have a baby with Hagar, right? And that was, well, so he's trying. He's trying to stay faithful to God. He's kind of got like one foot in, one foot out, right? He's, he's trying to stay faithful to God, and he believes God, but then he's like, okay, it's not happening, so I'm going to sort of kind of do it my way, and I'll go have one with Hagar, and, but I still want to be faithful to God, and so... Um, and, and in the end, God says, no, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to do it my way. So, um, <clears throat> so he, he knew he had to be faithful to God. He knew he had to be um, in accordance with God's promises. And, and getting a second wife would have, wouldn't have done that. Right. He was, yeah, I think he was about 75 yeah, when that happened. Oh, before, oh, why didn't he have multiple wives before God called him? Oh, it would be conjecture. I'm not sure. Do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I, I really don't know. Scripture doesn't speak to that, so, yeah. But also there's this idea that everybody did that. And it wasn't that everybody did that. Mm-hmm. It's just that some did. Is that it was, you know, and also not everyone had the wealth that he had. kind of restraining grace and that 
this was, you know, Abram was going to do what the Lord uh, wanted him to do and trusted him in this, although he didn't understand. Yes, we see the deviation with Hagar. Uh, but prior to that, I think really all we can say from what's revealed to us in Scripture is that, um, you know, by God's grace, Sometimes we can't go throughout the week before we're trying to force correct on our own, right? We're like, okay, well, I think I think it's time for me to try to put things in motion on my own. And um, so again, I think it doesn't that does not lend credibility to the strength of Abraham. It totally points to the sustaining grace of God. Great discussion. Yes. Well, you mentioned that the canon of scriptures closed for no longer receiving uh, messages, even though many evangelicals today would believe that God still talks to them. Is there a quick snippet or um, a way to tell them you're not receiving messages from God, there are voices in your head? <laughs> Revelation <laughs> chapter one. Re- Revelation <laughs> chapter one. <laughs> Yeah, Revelation 1. Uh, I don't have it memorized. Do you know it off the top of your head? Um, hold on. <laughs> Give me a second. Yeah, there's a couple. Revelation was the one that popped into my head. Um, Okay. Where is it?
Yeah, I, yeah, I got it now, sorry. <laughs> um, of course, the one who asked the question is not in here. This is Revelation 22.8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshipped uh, at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. Uh, I am the fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near... Uh, sorry, thought I had it. I know it's in Revelation 22. Are you talking about the jo- Do not add to the words of this book. That's the very end. That's the very end. The last, the last yeah. verse. Okay. It's the last chapter. Yeah, that's 20. But the end of the chapter. It's the very end. Oh, I said eight. I meant, yeah, okay. Yeah, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, any more questions? Okay, I'm going to close this in prayer and go tend to that. Um, okay. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your covenant that you have made with Abraham that is, um, that is still true of us today, of the graces and the promises that are made. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God, that we're your people. pray that we, you would be with us in our worship of you today. Um, we pray that you would be with the hearts of your people as they receive your word as we come into your presence. pray for Pastor Miller as he brings your word to us. Please bless and encourage him through your spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.